Hello and welcome to another episode of The Clever Kids. This is a weekly podcast where three brothers take a look at a topic from popular culture that you may or may not care about. My name is Tyler. You got Brian here. And Jeff. That's right. The three are back. Um, This week, we are going to talk about the Netflix animated film from 2019, Klaus. Uh, directed by Sergio Pablos and Carlos Martinez Lopez, written by Sergio Pablos, Jim Mahoney, and Zach Lewis, starring Jason Schwartzman, J.K. Simmons, Rashida Jones, Joan Cusack, and others. Um, yeah, I picked this movie just because it was a movie I had recently just thrown on as like a background watch and then ended up stopping what I was doing to watch this movie because I... I I liked it a lot, and so I figured it would be a good movie to to watch. I don't typically like Christmas movies, personally, but um, this one just worked for me, and I really liked it. So I'm, a, I'm interested to hear what my brothers thought about it. Um, who, wants to, who wants to go? Brian, you want to give us your thoughts? It's been a while. Do you still know how to do this? Uh, still know how to talk? Yes, I do. Um... This was a good movie. I I enjoyed it. I had very few holes to pick. I thought just overall, just, you know, just a general fun-loving uh, animated Christmas movie. So uh, we're doing a no-spoilers take. Is that correct? Yeah, we'll do no-spoilers first. Let Jeff get his yeah. no-spoilers in and then we'll... Yep, Su- super fun. I enjoyed it a lot. I recommend. Same. I, uh, I loved this movie. Um I watched it when it first came out, so this wasn't the first time that I'd seen it, but uh, I, I liked it then. Uh, most people that I've talked to uh, or told people that I uh, people that watched this in this podcast too, all of them were, were uh, excited to watch it again. Um, so I, I think that says a lot about this film. It was definitely very positively received when it first came out. Yeah, it's interesting. I didn't actually, this movie kind of escaped me when it first came out. I didn't know that it had come out until recently. Well, until I found it recently and, but I'm like looking through its awards right now and it was nominated for like 26 awards and a one eleven. not at, and it, and was also nominated for the best animated feature film at the Oscars last year, which or wow. in 2020, excuse me. I didn't, I did not know that. Uh, I don't watch the Oscars, but I mean, that's pretty cool. Um, it won the BAFTA, which is British Academy for Film and Television Awards or something like that. Um, but it won the be- their best animated feature film of 2020, which or 2019, which is pretty impressive um, because I don't remember what movies, wh- which animated movies came out that year. But just to be nominated, I feel like is pretty incredible. Uh, and then to be out, you know, what I assume would probably be a um pixar film right um yeah it's pretty impressive uh let's go ahead and jump into full spoilers for this and talk about what we didn't like which is pretty much exclusively what we'll talk about so full spoilers going forward for this movie and any movie ever so just be aware that if you listen past this and we spoil something We'll do our best not to, but it's probably going to happen. So just be aware. Um, 
then yeah. Uh, by the way, I just looked up the the other nominees for animated feature films at the BAFTAs in 2020. It beat Toy Story 4 and Frozen 2. Toy Story 4 was very good. That's some stiff competition. Um, so I can't say that I saw that movie. Is that the one with the Huggins Bear? No, that's Toy Story yeah, 3. Story. Toy Story 4 was Keanu Reeves and Little Bo Peep. Keanu Reeves? Yeah. Yeah, he, he plays like a action evil Knievel yeah. action figure. Oh yeah, I definitely uh, haven't seen that. I gotta I gotta catch up. You didn't watch Toy Story 4? It's one of the most heartbreaking movies I've ever seen. Well, number three broke my heart, so I yeah, just feel like they, they do it over and over again every time. When I heard that they were doing Toy Story 4, I was I was kind of like, why would they do that? Like three was such a good way to end it. <laughs> I'm ready and to then, be hurt. And then four came out and I was like, never mind, they needed to make that movie. That was amazing. <laughs> um, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about Klaus today. Um, so, so it sounds like we all liked it. Um, what was it particularly about this movie that we liked? Uh, I'll just go first again. Uh, I will say, um, the, the animation itself, just the way that the visuals looked, I thought really popped. I thought, you know, I, I can't stand a flat animated show any like i have a hard time with it unless it's something very specific something that's i don't know what would you describe that as 2d mm-hmm. yeah. and this one this one was kind of there but just was a little bit more modern in in its like visual quality um and i just i don't know just something about it just really popped for me without being like completely 3d like uh like a toy story would be or something like that it felt like it was somewhere in between I don't know if you're going to be able to put more technical definitions on that or technical terms on that, but um, it, you know, I think something about that just kind of worked for me where it's an in-between. And I've got a real problem where uh, every time I watch something animated, I, I, I try to apply it to whether it would work for the Stormlight Archive as a, like a, a movie rendition for that book series because I think live action for that uh, book series would not work. Um, so I, I think this would be another one that would work for that, although – uh, one of their uh, art styles with the uh, almost inhuman body types where it's like the main character was like very thin up top and very thin at the bottom and then kind of like, I don't know, almost like bell shaped in the middle. Yeah. And then and then Klaus himself is just an absolute behemoth in comparison. Um, I You know, I find those exaggerated body types to be interesting, but I, I would want that to tone down if they ever try to do justice to the Stormlight Archive. Um but that's not what we're talking about. So uh, overall, I thought that the, just the visual, like the aesthetic was was uh, engaging and, and uh, I enjoyed it a lot. Brian, what was the Rotten Tomato score on this movie? Well, the old RT score. Um, tomato meter fresh at 95% from critics wow. on 76 reviews. That's a very high score. For, and, but not very many reviews, to be honest. For a movie that was nominated for an Academy Award, interesting that it only has 75 reviews. 76 like, critics, though. That's professional people giving an opinion versus... I know, but Avatar 2 had 105 before it even released. It had 105 critics reviews. That's maybe that type of film is just for a specific critic audience or something? I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. just seems interesting. But... Um, yeah, and then the audience score uh, actually was even higher at 96% with over 2,500 ratings. 
Wow. So people love this movie. I think this is just kind of like a unanimous good movie to watch for uh, yeah. around the holidays. Yeah, I think this is definitely going to probably now that I have a child, like this is probably going to make it into the rotation of holiday movies with him. Um, I uh, I really liked it. I my favorite part of this is this weird town that the postman rolls into with Norm Macdonald and like it's dead silent and then he gets tricked into ringing that bell and then about like my favorite part is just that they ring the bell and nobody asks any questions everybody just comes out ready to murder <laughs> uh very funny um i love that the town was like uh just like covered in like axes and spears just like in the buildings um, that there had just been a battle being waged for decades and decades and decades and generations. And I just, I thought that that, like, what a world to live in. I just think that that's such a funny concept. You know, it it was, and I will say this, I, I just had this thought where I was like, and nobody ever kills each other. Like, all you see is just people just kicking each other's ass. But we do see them running in with actual weaponry. So you have to assume that, you know, they're just giving you the animated view, but they're implying that people actually murder each other. Yes. And then we see, I mentioned this to you earlier while we were doing our little gift exchange. We see very early on when he enters Smearinsburg, he looks down an alleyway to his right and there are two little old ladies carrying up what looks to be a body bag. And as they're entering the, uh, the uh, like a building in the alley, they throw up the shush, like don't say shit you know, sign. And he's like, what the hell's going on here? And then later on, we see during a battle, those same two old ladies carrying what also seems to be a body bag across an open clearing and a boot drops out of it, which they pick up and hurry off with. And I thought, what, what's the context for these two old women? It's like, they're like secretly murdering people. What's the implication there? Or they're just like taking the dead bodies from the battles and like doing something with them. Like how dark is that? It's incredibly dark. Pretty creepy. Yeah. Um, and they, they, there was just no further context on that. I just, I was like, we're just supposed to accept that these like creepy asshole women are like doing God knows what with these bodies. Like, it, like that was like, I, I think what really locked it in for me. Like, oh, these townspeople are actually straight up murdering each other. It's just not showing it on camera, you know? Yeah, I don't know. I, I think that's exactly funny. right. Um, Jeff, what, what is it like when you, why did you, first of all, you're not a child and you don't have children. Why did you watch this movie when it first came out? You're just interested or what? Uh, it's actually funny enough. So the person that I, that I live with is a huge, huge fan of Norm MacDonald. Um, and mm. so, uh, I mean, he, as are the three of us, I believe, right. Aren't we all pretty big fans? I love like him a lot. And this I mean, was rest in peace. This a was lot. the last thing that he did before he passed. This was the last movie yeah. or, or show that, that he worked on. Um, and so that brought it to prominence within my friend group. And, and I heard good things about the movie. So I threw it on and, uh, and was thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah. Did you guys catch J.K. Simmons? Like, did you know it was J.K. Simmons early on? I think he does a good job in his performance as Klaus in this movie. Um, because I doubt I, I first pinned it and was like, that's J.K. Simmons. And then like halfway through the movie, I was like, is it actually? Am I wrong? You know, I had to Google it because I thought he did a good job of like 
it still sounded like him, but he was bringing something other than what his, you know, his typical, very famous voice sounds like. I mean, I knew that I, I definitely picked up on him being on Klaus being J.K. Simmons. I didn't realize until I looked into the film that the drill sergeant at the very beginning of the film, he only has a couple of lines, is also voiced by J.K. Simmons. And I did not uh, recognize his voice when he in, the, in those because that's the first time you hear J.K. Simmons voice is when he's the drill sergeant. Um, that's kind of pandering to uh, um, the protagonist in the tent. Um, yeah. I actually genuinely don't know who you're talking what, what you're referring to. I don't remember a drill sergeant. There's a drill sergeant um, that goes to wake up the protagonist and is trying to get him to go see his father because he's been summoned. And uh, that's right. He like I do remember that. brings him tea and, and only says a couple of things. Uh, Isn't that like his butler? It's not his. It's not a drill sergeant. I thought he has an assistant that works with him or something. I, I think it is the drill sergeant that is helping him. Um, hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, well, um, yeah. J.K. Simmons. I uh, Jason Schwartzman in this movie um, is. Uh, I like I I genuinely thought it was David Spade mm-hmm. when when I first started watching. Do you too? Mm-hmm. I was like, whoa, David Spade doing another animated movie. And then it, it was you know a little bit later, I was like, I don't think that's David Spade. I think that's someone else. And then I eventually was like, is that Jason Schwartzman? And it was. Um, yeah, interesting. I like Jason Schwartzman. Have you guys seen Rushmore? No. One of the first what uh, Wes Anderson movies. I don't think so. It's one of his, it's Jason Schwartzman's, I think, maybe first movie. He's like very young. It's probably my favorite Wes Anderson movie. I think it overtook. Uh, so to bring this back about the film and not about actors no, no, that no, Tyler no. recognized. No, 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 no. Um, no, 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 no. We're talking about Wes Anderson movies now. Same, same with last week, how we stopped talking about the topic and just talked about Avatar for an hour. <laughs> back to the film. Um, I think part of the part that I like about it is is kind of what we touched on already, which is this film, you understand what it's about when it starts, right? It's one of those films that that is a well-trodden territory, so you think you know what to expect, but it definitely throws a couple wrenches in there that is extremely enjoyable. Like It's not like those wrenches are feel like a diversion from the plot, where you're like, damn, when are we going to get to Santa Claus? Like, you are fully engaged in this battle between these two families, and you know, in this in this school teacher that has given up hope and all of these different things that are happening. Um, and they present it in a funny way of this person that that's stuck in this unfavorable position and sees the invention of Santa Claus or whatever you want. This this person who you can send letter to to get toys is this opportunistic way to escape his misfortune um, is a very funny, uh, clever way of wanting to tell the story of uh, the invention of Santa Claus, of how these myths came to be around this person um yeah i agree i think that the myth making of it was fun because it's you know it's basically just kids telling stories um i yeah i really liked that i uh i do wonder brian you you had met you had texted us yesterday i think um or the day before maybe with thoughts on the um like the uh climax yeah the climax sorry um with jason swartzman's character being getting in trouble when they yeah. find out about his deceit you didn't follow that through did you uh what do you mean like follow you didn't that like it sorry i know like i thought that part was a little bit um 
I think they could have done something better. I, for the most part, I thought this movie was watertight. I, I think the scores from both the critics and audience are uh, well-earned. There was just definitely this point at the end where the main character gets vilified for having initially not wanted to stay. And, you know, he has to like, you know, pull up some heroics at the end and prove that he wants to be there for them to kind of come back around to him. And I just had this thought in my head, like, are you kidding me? That place was ass before he turned things around. And obviously he had his own motivations, but even some of the other characters that were getting mad at him, uh, very clearly were planning the same, you know, wanting to get out and not enjoying their time there. And so for them all to look at him and, and to vilify him, as this like jerk or asshole for wanting to leave, I was like, all right, they, they, they could have done something a little bit better there. Like maybe, maybe he wrote uh, a letter to his dad begging to come home. And when his dad shows up to pick him up at the end, he's like, no, 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 I've wanted to stay. And then his dad's like, really? It's not what this letter says. And then he reads it out and everyone's like, wow, you're a dick. I could see something like that because he's like trying to hide it or something. I, I don't know. I just felt like there was a very easy fix for, um, what seemed to be an unjust uh, con- condemnation of, of that character, although it was very brief. It didn't it didn't throw the movie at all. Uh, you know, it was such a, a quick turnaround from the point where he gets vilified to the point where he de- redeems himself that it didn't really have much of a uh, an impact on the overall story. So it was a very small nitpick. Uh, the other thing I was going to say is I thought it was surprising, like typically in a movie like this, and I'd have to think really hard for examples, but the name of the town that they spend the time in somehow speaks to like the nature of that town. And I thought Smearinsburg was kind of a weird name to give this town. I was wondering where they came up with that name because it's, it had nothing to do with what, what it was like there. There was an actual um, town that was a whaling post in the 17th century called Smearinsburg. So it actually exists. Yeah. Okay. okay. It's probably, so not I can accept anymore, that then. But. Yeah, I, I was just like, it's just so interesting. You think that they would do something to kind of like cleverly allude to the fact that like people on either side of the main street are trying yeah. to kill each other. Call it Battleground. Yeah, whatever. Battleground would be awesome. Like that'd be freaking sick, actually. Yeah, like something. You'd think that they'd have some name, but if Smearnsburg was a real place, then then so be it. I actually really like the name Smearnsburg. I think it's a very funny name because it's just, it has the word smear in it, just which un- is just like unpleasant. Yeah, just like an unpleasant term. It just brings to mind like something gross or weird. Anyone um, ever want to go to a place called Smearinsburg? Yeah, exactly. I, I think I that's guess, why I, I guess it, it fits. I guess it fits, um, but that's pretty nitpicky. It had nothing to do with the film overall. Yeah. Cool. Well, um, because we're going to talk about Avatar 2, um, I'm going to forego a topic on this movie. Um, and I think maybe we can move into a what's clever, what are we reading? Hold on. We've got some fun facts about this film that I think are, are pretty interesting. Oh, yeah. I've got a Metacritic <laughs> Go score to read off, too. What's the, oh, yeah. Let's start there. Different? Okay, yeah. What Metacritic, Brian? Yeah. Uh, well, first off, I've never read a Metacritic score before, so bear with me while I just kind of blurt out whatever I see on the page. Okay, Metascore for Klaus. 65. It's in green. I'm guessing that's a generally good score, but that's based on 13 critic reviews. That's not very good. That's pretty low, actually. Is it out of 100, I assume? Yeah. Yeah, it looks like there's other movies recommended that have way higher scores than that. So that's interesting. And then user score, 
Uh, universal acclaim based on over 300 ratings, 8.6. So yeah, this was a much lower performance than what we saw in Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, interesting. So Rotten Tomatoes, the difference between those two is Rotten Tomatoes is like 80% of critics liked this movie, whereas Metacritic is these 14 critics gave this like an average score of six point, you know, 65 or whatever. Right. Does that make sense? So it averages the score out of 100, um, which is interesting. Anyway, um, Jeff, one, one what critic you gave on this a facts? one. Oh, sorry. A one? Yeah, a one. This it, movie is, is visually stunning and well-voiced. It's also really boring. The main character is supremely... Oh, is the supremely irritating, flapping, unappealing, generic moron so common in movie leads these days. It seems lead characters can't have any talent, ability, or confidence. This movie promised so much and delivered nothing. Wow. <laughs> well, Jeez. In, the, in the words of Qui-Gon, the ability to speak does not make one intelligent. That guy's wrong. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, geez, that is a... That is brutal. Scathing review. <laughs> yeah. For a movie that the three of us liked, this guy's like, fuck you. <laughs> I'm about to end this movie's whole career. Yeah. Um, Jeff, hit us, hit us with some fun facts. So some fun facts. So Brian touched on earlier about the animation style. <clears throat> the director of this film, his name's Sergio Pablos, specifically didn't want to uh, get into um, computer-generated animation. And so what he did was he applied the same CGI lighting techniques that you would that you would use when adapting a, a drawn film into uh, CGI, but kept it hand drawn. And so that's where that unique lighting style comes from. That's where that unique kind of flavor of this animation comes from. Is from that they use the techniques that you would normally prepare a drawing for CGI um, on two D drawn and just kept that kind of raw um, style, which I think really, really uh, helps this film stand out. Um, yeah. Let's see. I will say that the animation style in this movie is very unique. And that was one of the things that first drew me in when I started watching it. I was like, wow, this is, this looks really great. Um, so yeah, sorry, go ahead. Um, let's see. I think my favorite fun fact about this film is the, uh, the girl that plays Margu, the, the Sami girl that can't speak English. That actress actually cannot speak English. Um, so the director uh, flew all the way to this remote Norwegian village called Tromso uh, and did the whole recording session through translation of Nimrfi because the two of them did not speak a common language, um, which I think is fascinating. I, I love, I love, I actually love that component of having a character. I imagine that the animation of having the protagonist try and communicate with this woman, the director probably had a lot to say because he had just got off the plane of actually having trying to communicate with the person who was actually recording those lines. That's so interesting. Yeah, I, I had to look up the Sami people after this movie because like, are these real or are these is this like their version of elves or whatever? And yeah, it's just like a real group of people who live in like the northern like areas of like Norway, Finland and Sweden. And they're yeah, they're just like they're like the indigenous Swedes and you know, indigenous Nordic people, basically. And they do wear outfits very similar to the ones that we see depicted in the movie. Super, and super easy way for them to explain Santa's traditional getup, I thought. 
yeah, I, I liked it because honestly, looking at the pictures, like they do wear like those bright colors and stuff like that. And there is a lot of reds and blues and whites and fur and whatnot in there. Yeah. In well, I mean, the, the part of the movie cool. I appreciated the most was that they painstakingly addressed every part of the Santa Claus Christmas tradition. Like even the lump of coal thing was explained that he was getting back at some asshole kid that hit him with a snowball or whatever. Like it's, it, I just thought that the, that lump of coal moment and that part with the, with the garb, you know, that explained Santa Claus's red outfit um, were both uh, very interesting, solid ways of explaining that part of the tradition. I'll give you a couple yeah. more fun facts. Uh, number one, Jason Schwartzman ad-libbed most of his lines. Uh, the director estimates that about 40% of his dialogue was actually scripted. Wow. Okay. Interesting. Um, let's see. What else do we have here? In the original concept of the film, when they were first writing it, they wanted Jesper, the protagonist, to be a chimney sweep, uh, who then discovers his way out of poverty is through joining the post, uh, creating a post outpost in his uh, hometown as a way to mm. escape, which I think would have been interesting. Um, another fun fact is when they first wrote the storyboards for this film. They initially had the, the reindeer eating berries until one of them looked it up and found out that reindeer are actually like they can't digest berries. It's very toxic to them. And so anytime you see a reindeer eating in this film, they're actually eating moss, which is what reindeer actually eat. That's uh, a weird that attention to detail, but OK. All right. <laughs> Two more. This film was in development for 10 years. The first one, they did a bunch That's of too long. pre-development and then they couldn't That's sell the script. <laughs> they couldn't That's sell like the three script years until. too long, bro. They couldn't sell the script, you said? Yeah, so they did a bunch of pre-development, and then they kept trying to sell it to a bunch of different studios until Netflix finally gave them the chance. The director was actually really surprised in working with Netflix, because a lot of times with working with studios, he met comments about how much is mandated by them, where he said that Netflix didn't mandate a single thing about this film. They had a bunch of suggestions, but that he was well within his right to just not do them. But there was no mandates from the studio, which I think is fascinating. Um, it is fascinating. Last fun fact, I'll say is uh, J.K. Simmons apparently worked as a ball Santa while he was pursuing his acting career out of college. <laughs> really? Yeah. So there's families out there that have pictures with J.K. Simmons as Santa. Yeah. Come on, Reddit. That's, dig those up. Yeah, what the fuck? How have I never seen any of those? How do? How is there not just like, how is the internet not flooded with this? I gotta I'm Googling this. <laughs> <laughs> um, you got any more of those while we're Googling, Jeff? Yeah, I do. Uh, let's see, what else do I got? Uh, I, you want to guess, want to guess, Tyler, what did you guess the budget for this film is? Animated films aren't super expensive, but this one was actually... Uh, yeah, I'd say like $30 million maybe. So it was $40 million, which is mm. very inexpensive compared to the hundreds of millions that typically the animated films cost. Um, yeah, in order to make this film uh, applicable for a box office run, they had a exclusive one week release in select theaters prior to it begin streaming on uh, Netflix. And it did qualify it for the 2019 uh, Academy Award run. Yeah, that's... Uh... That's interesting. I'm not seeing 
And this was the first um, animated film from Netflix that was nominated for an Academy Award. This is their first animated original. That wow. I, wow, what a way to kick it off. Yeah. And I, have they done very many since? I can't think of really any um, other Netflix original animations, right? I'm the wrong person to ask. Um, oh, wait, what was... Sorry, any sorry, good photos sorry. of J.K. Simmons with his mall Santa? You guys come no, up? No, I didn't find any. That's unfortunate. I did not find any. Well, then, for the actual... No, no it's just all a bunch of stuff from this movie and from his upcoming movie with The Rock. Yeah. For the actual final fun fact, we'll talk just for a moment about the different colors used in this film. So the crumbs only exclusively wear green and, br- green and blue clothing. Whereas the Ellingbows exclusively wear red and brown. The Sami people wear red and blue, which signifies their ability to, to, to work kind of cohesively in harmony. Um, and then throughout the entire film, Jasper wears blue and Klaus gets his famous red suit. And then the two of them work together with the Sami and they all are able to bring everyone together. Wow, guys. I just want to say Netflix has a lot of animated films and i've watched most of them <laughs> i'm dumb i'm like oh yeah i did like and some like wendell and wild the one the claymation or not claymation the stop motion animated movie that just came out around halloween directed by henry Selick. watch that uh pinocchio uh by guillermo del toro talked about that last week obviously i watched that one um the sea beast with carl urban that that came out earlier this year. I like that one. Saw that too. Yeah, I'm dumb. Um, okay, cool. So, uh, all right. So we're going to transition out and we're going to start talking about Avatar The Way of Water. But Brian has a one month old at home, so he did not get to sneak out and see the movie this week. So he's going to leave the room. Jeff and I are going to talk about that now. And then we're going to get back together and talk about uh, what's clever, what we've been reading, what we've been watching, what we've been listening to. So, Brian get out of here for a minute mm-hmm. now that brian's out of the uh out of the room you and i are free to talk about avatar um i want to know i mean directed by james cameron starring yeah oh my gosh everybody from the first one plus kane kate winslet and uh sigourney weaver's back and so is Stephen lang and a bunch of other people um zoe Saldana and i don't know Oh, everybody that's in it. Um, it's a lot of people. It's too many people. Let's be honest. And also, none of them are actually in it because it's a cartoon. But it's not a cartoon. But it is a cartoon. Um, do we want to do a non-spoiler spoiler for this one? Yeah. Okay. I mean, it just came out. Yeah. So why don't you give me your non-spoiler review? Uh, I love this movie. I was fully surprised by this film because the first one I found enjoyable, but not anything spectacular. Um, and this one, I actually liked this one significantly more. Um, so I know there's a lot that I want to talk about, um, but as far as my review, go see it. It's definitely worth it. It's fun. Uh, it's engaging. It's, uh, like, yeah, it's, uh, it's a lot. <laughs> Three hours, go to the bathroom beforehand, but uh, go see it. Yeah. How many bathroom breaks did you take? I didn't have to. I did go to the bathroom right before the movie started. 
I did too, and I still had to take one. <laughs> um, because your boy's got a small bladder. Um, yeah, I will say I like this movie, um, much better than I like the first one. I think the first one's story, and uh, we talked about this last week. First one's story is kind of lacking, and but visually incredible. This one. 10 times more visually incredible and you know the story is much more interesting and unique um to this world um so yeah i i liked it uh i'm ready to just jump right into spoilers if you are Mm -hmm. all right hit me with your first thoughts Oh, I do want to uh, say Rotten Tomatoes. This is we're still we're recording this the weekend after release or of release. So Rotten Tomatoes, eighty two percent from critics, three hundred and thirty four critic reviews, eighty two percent from audience, over two hundred fifty thousand audience reviews, uh, and Metacritic has it at a sixty nine based on sixty two critic reviews, and a user score of seven point one uh, based on two hundred forty seven user ratings. So. Um, pretty pretty high up there um i uh seems like people are really liking this one i'm not quite sure did i've no, i don't know if i've looked up avatar one's critic reviews so anyway sorry hit me with your your first thoughts um i again first i i love this movie um i made a prediction at the end of uh, at the end of the last podcast that uh james cameron would have plenty of uh um food for our different uh, source material to can just keep recycling Disney materials. And I predict that this one is going to be Tarzan. I was wrong. It was free Willy yeah. uh, was the Disney film that James Cameron decided to emulate here. It was free Willy um, and it was um, uh, little mermaid a little bit too. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I mean, I loved it. Right. I mean, I, I thoroughly enjoyed the aspects of the film, the storytelling that they choose to, to put the general, the, the, what's it called, the lieutenant, whatever, the corporal, command, I don't know what his name is, the fucking, the bad guy from the first film in an avatar body, have him resurrect with all of his military buddies who were inexplicably absent from the first film um, and have them go out and form a strike team to go hunt Jake Sully. No, those are um, the people who were on his strike team in the first film. They were also okay. re- Reanimated. I don't remember him having a strike team from the first film. But the, okay. All of those, um, all of those actors, they were in the first movie uh, as the military members, just like in the first. Movie. Okay. Yeah. Um. But yeah, the entire process of of reestablishing a home base to uh, the water. I loved the culture of the water people. The fact that they use sign language to speak underwater. Uh, the fact that they have biologically different advantages for living on that coastal life. Um, just the ability of being able to tell that story of uh, interacting and living so harmoniously with that marine life in a way that they typically didn't show in the first film. Um, they weren't like utilizing those animals or befriending the animals in any significant way like they did in this film. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. There's a lot that we can talk about, but as far as just a review concept that talking about the individual components, this film grabbed me a lot better than the last one. Um, yeah. I was engaged throughout the entire film. I loved all of the different, even the slower parts of the story were very fun. The, the interworking family dynamics between the two kind of families that you're seeing trying to coexist together. Um, there was just a, little, a ton of elements in there that I fully appreciated. Yeah. I would say the the part about this that stuck out to me was um, 
the the family story was interesting, right? You get the multi-generational family story. You also get like a family that is sort of a composite family, right? It's a patchwork. Some of the kids are their actual kids. Some of the kids are adopted. Some of their kids are a different race, you know, like it's sort of, it's just a very interesting version of a family. And so it tells like a very unique story that's unique to this movie. Um, I think that, all, you know, I echo a lot of the things that you said, though, the water tribes ways of doing things were interesting. Um, I'm kind of hoping that if, it, you know, if we do actually get an avatar three, which it seems like we will for sure. Um, that they're going to take us to another tribe that's like out in the mountains or something like that. And they're like furry or something, you know? <laughs> um, but I, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't, I, I don't know. I feel like I'm, I'm dropping the ball here today on my reviews. I'm a little bit hungover. I went out to a party last night for the first time in a long time and drank maybe a little bit too much. Um, First, oh, also, I want to say I read the wrong reviews. Uh, those Rotten Tomatoes reviews I read earlier were for the first Avatar movie. Uh, this one, critics' reviews are coming in at 77% with an audience score of 93% uh, on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, I, um, I do want to talk about the action filming in this movie. Um, what did you think of the action scenes? Um, entertaining. Uh, I, I enjoyed them. I mean, they weren't the highlight of the film by any means for me, but, uh, I didn't have anything negative to say about them. What was the highlight of the film for you? Just the, just the world of the, of the water people. I definitely loved the world of the water people, the culture that they chose to create here and the story that they chose to tell of the youth trying to fit in with this society. I mean, Jake Sully was not really the protagonist of this film. He like didn't get as much screen time as his family did. And I love that, um, that we, this is much more of a ensemble cast than the first film was. Um, and being able to see how different people would react to that, um, change in location and change to lifestyles, right? You see how each different of the children, how each of them has to now adapt, um, and how they're differently received. Um, I don't know. It was, uh, it was good. But as far as the action goes, I mean, it was run of the mill, right? I mean, it's not like we're watching Avengers on screen doing anything really spectacular. It was just kind of monstrous blue people being super strong, um, which was fun, but uh, nothing we didn't see in the first film. Oh man, I disagree. I thought the action scene um, with them fighting on the boat as it was turning over um, was truly incredible. Um, the depth of field that you get with the 3D uh, works in, in a way that I just blew my mind. Um, I thought that the choreography of it all, like you didn't lose any of the action um, in the 3D, like it, like in previous movies when it's in 3D, the motion I feel like gets really blurry um, and I end up like losing characters or just like having trouble fi fi uh, following the movements. And I did not feel that way watching this movie. I assume you went and saw it in 3D. I did. Um, that opening scene where they go in, where it zooms into the forest, I got tricked and thought that there was a bug in my in my way, even though I knew I was watching a 3D movie. I was like, oh, I like swatted out after a bug and was like, oh, whoops, I feel stupid. Um, how packed was the movie theater that you went to? It was full. Yeah, mine was too. I will say, I 
it was an adjustment to get back into 3D because I remember like back in 2010 to two, or probably like 2008 to 2014, every other film I went and saw had some kind of 3D release. We were seeing the original How to Train Your Dragon in 3D. Yeah. Um, right. Like there's a ton of movies that were coming out around that time using that 3D technology. So it wasn't that foreign. And now it's just not a thing that, that filmmakers utilize. Yeah. And so, so to sit back in and go ahead. Well, I was going to say off, off of the back of Avatar, the first Avatar movie, um, it definitely was like every movie was coming out in 3D because a lot of Avatar's box office success came from the fact that you pretty much to see it in the real way was to see it in 3D, you know? Um, and so they made a lot of money off of those 3D tickets because there's a premium on top of them of like, you know, an extra 7 or $8, right? So... Um, other movie studios started doing that with their movies. And so every movie was released. Any big budget movie was released in 3D as well as 2D. Uh, and then I think what they realized was it was costing more money and people weren't going and seeing them in 3D. So they stopped. But I bet this brings another boom to the 3D uh, movie space. I bet you it does. And to be honest, I kind of like it. I I like I don't like having to wear the glasses. I think that's dumb, but um there is something to like the depth and like being it's like it does lend itself to the immersion of you know the world that you're watching. Um how did you feel about the um like all the creatures like water design, sorry, like the fish designs in the water and like the the changes to like the type of creatures that they ride and things like that. Did you sure have any thoughts? I mean, on I thought it was imaginative. I mean, ultimately the the fish flying monsters that they ride were pretty much as direct stand in for the already flying creatures that they had introduced. I didn't think anything significant of them. Um, that the whales were cruel. I mean, definitely this was a massive, massive indictment against the whaling industry. Um, James Cameron used this film as a vessel to talk about the intelligence of whales and why they deserve to live and why we as a species should stop trying to drive them extinct. Uh, I think that that was very interesting. Um, definitely a bold choice to, to show the wastefulness of our uh, whaling industry, how we really only care about a couple of key components and then we just kill the, you know, leave the rest of the, the whale to decompose. I don't know how true that is, but it was definitely true of, you know, Americans when they extincted the uh, buffalo or the bison. Um, it's uh, fascinating, the indictment of, of late stage American capitalism, which in some cases I, I fully agree with James Cameron's opinion on the, the matter. Um, to make the whales so intelligent and to have the bloodlusted whale be a character who is out there enacting his vengeance was very, very intelligent. I, very, very fun. I'll say I, I watched it with my roommate and he and I were just cracking jokes the entire time, cracking up whenever that whale was flopping on decks and murdering people and using his hardened shell to outsmart the, uh, the hunters. Um, very fun. Yeah. I thought, I, I thought so too. Um, I thought the, the most imaginative part of this whole thing was the crab suits. Yeah, they which were, wasn't necessarily the marine life, but they were fun, weren't they? I I thought that that was fun too. Um, I did think it was interesting that the first movie and ends with like a military battle, right? Where like all the the forest animals fight the military basically, um, and win. And then the second one is 
the ocean people fight a whaling vessel, you know, with like seven Marines on it. I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, but yeah, I, did you have a favorite part of this movie? Let's see favorite part of the movie. Um, there was a <coughs> point when the, the lead whaler, uh, is attempting to get his vengeance and the whale intelligently is able to use his own tether cord, uh, against him, which then like traps his arm against the, uh, the massive ballista that he uses to hunt the whales, the harpoon gun. And I thought they were going to shy away from it, but they literally show his severed arm and him fly into the water, which was probably as graphic as I've seen James Cameron get. Yeah. I, that was my favorite part too. That's why I set up this, this question was because I wanted to talk about that guy getting his arm cut off. Cause I, I laughed out loud in the movie. There was like, Oh shit. I did not think he was yeah. going to do it, but he did it. Um, yeah, I think that, uh, yeah, I mean, (laughs) James Cameron directed aliens and Terminator two and Terminator one. So like he, he doesn't shy away from like, he's not afraid to show gore, but it just, you know, isn't the way that he does things really anymore. But yeah, I mean, I'd say overall, this movie is very impressive, um, visually, Story-wise, it worked. I mean, three hours and 20 minutes. I mean, I'm probably, if I ever watch it again, it'll be one time. You know, I'm not going to be, this isn't going to be like a constant watch for me. It's too long. But um, I, you know, I enjoyed it for what it was. Um, And I do think that that 3D element, I mean, did this make you, I feel like I want them to film like planet Earth in 3d and i would pay to go see it in theaters you know that's what this made me think is i was like i'd love to just see our world this way you know i don't need like a fake alien world it shot this way um i'd love to see our our world shot in that in that 3d depth but still genuinely a technical marvel right just like we were talking about last week visually spectacular uh very exciting um yeah, overall, really good movie, I'd say, right? Yeah, I mean, what's most surprising to me is that within the three hours of runtime, it still felt like there wasn't enough time for them to develop, delve into everything that they introduced. Um, clearly setting up this film is clearly, I mean, what I what I really think this film did well, and I've mentioned this a couple times on podcasts, is within a franchise, you always get uh, films that somehow just feel like stepping stones without necessarily resolving their own internal story arcs. They don't necessarily have a story arc. They have a partial story arc that feeds into the next film. Um, whereas this film definitely felt like a story arc. It had a beginning, a middle, and end. It had um, individual character arcs within it that I think were all well done. And it still pushed a greater narrative. There were still some character arcs that were not resolved. For example, um, the, the eldest daughter, who's the daughter of uh, Sigourney Weaver's um, avatar, having epilepsy it's very clear that they're going to go somewhere with that and in the next film she's going to have to use i predicted in the final battle um the 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 bad guys got her to his throat and i was like oh i bet she's gonna connect their two hair tails together and it's gonna stun him for a second which will allow jake sully to get the shot but that's not what they chose to do um which we got no resolution at all to her epilepsy like she didn't even find out about her or anything we didn't get a single other moment with her doing anything that would put her in danger. Um, 
And so it was surprising. We also got our first actual kind of main character death um, as far as on the good guy's side, which I thought was surprising uh, that they would go through and, and kill the oldest son. I didn't expect them to do that. Yeah, that um, that got me like in the I was like, I don't even know this character's name, but like I was really sad that they lost their son. I think, you know, that comes from just being a father, becoming a father recently. But like I was like, oh, no, well, you're also the oldest sibling. Yeah, I don't really. I mean, I would not have helped you. You know what I mean? I would have let you die. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, no, I just, of course, like the oldest sibling thing obviously played into it at first. Like I was like, yeah, I'd, I would help my brothers if this was a situation. Right. But it was more like the after the kid died or like as he was laying there dying and telling his dad, like, I want to go home. And the dad knows there's nothing he can do to save him right now. You know, that's that's brutal. You know, that, what do you say to your son in that moment? Right. Sad. Yeah. I thought it was very interesting. The dynamic immediately after the son died, where he turns to the wife and was like, I need you to be strong right now. Like, I need you not to grieve. I need you not to break down. You need to go and help me murder this guy. Um, Yo, she went dynamic. wild after that, 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 that the choreography of her tearing through people on that ship and like, she she stabs a dude with her arrow, which is like you know a spear to a human being, and then lifts him up and shoots the arrow all shoots like, the through, arrow through his him. body. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, that was brutal. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, man. I, I that I thought the action in this movie, like that last, like you know, forty five minute action scene, that was the highlight of the movie for me. Um, I was kind of squirming in my seat at the three hour mark and then that all started to take place and uh it definitely rescued the movie i liked that part quite a lot um cool man well do you have any other thoughts on avatar 2 the way of water um only that i'm excited for the third installment right i mean james cameron said that he's going to make the third film uh regardless of how this film does isn't that what you said at the end of uh last week's podcast I mean, I, I don't think there's anything we can do to stop James Cameron at this point. He's a man on a mission. He's going rogue, you know? So, um, yeah. I mean, there's clearly stories that he wants to tell. Obviously, uh, the humans are here to stay to some extent on Pandora. And so I think that we're building towards some kind of story of them eventually working together, um, living to, to learning to live cohesively. Um, and, and maybe the fourth or fifth film is them finding some other existential threat that they have to unite against. I don't know. I mean, clearly we've saw some character development of the, the antagonist of this film with him becoming slightly more human with having someone to care about. And that's going to go somewhere. Um, I don't know. It's going to be interesting. What did you think of, uh, as just a last minute thought, what did you think of the antagonist with his whole journey of like embracing the Navi culture uh, as much as he did? Yeah, I found that interesting. Um, I wonder if what what like, I guess I just wonder what that character's path is through the rest of the series. Um, I definitely think that uh, Sigourney Weaver's character in this one was played again played by Sigourney Weaver. I don't know if you knew that the the one that her daughter the oldest yeah the oldest daughter yeah. the daughter is Sigourney Weaver again. Um, yeah, so she her character clearly is born of Awa, right? Like she is like a immaculate conception type deal with, with Sigourney Weaver's sure. avatar. Um, because 
they tried to save Grace. I don't know if you remember from the first one. She's dying, and they tried to transport her brain into her avatar's body permanently, the same way that they do with Jake Sully, right? In at the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that the idea is that when they tried to do that, and it, because they couldn't save Grace, the character or Awa, the planet, created a new version and gave us this godlike being who can now control the creatures of the, you know, like she, like they, she has a different level of connection with like the nature than everyone else who already has a pretty incredible connection. Right. So I think that there's something to be done between the man who's trying to destroy the world and the woman born of the world. Right. So like, I feel that the story is going to revolve around them going forward. Um, I wonder if she will show him the error in his ways and he'll turn to the good side in a, in a way. Um, but you know, who knows? Um, as far as the story that we saw in this movie, I could take it or leave it. You know, I don't, I don't know when I heard that, when I saw that he was back and how they brought him back, I was like, okay, fine. You know? Um, at the end when Natiri is threatening his son and he he drops it for him, I was sort of like, that's still that feels out of character. He hasn't really shown fatherly love for this kid throughout this whole movie, you know? So to see him do that was interesting, I guess. I didn't I didn't mm-hmm. expect it. I, I made the joke because in that scene there's this weird parallel going on with each of the adult figures each having a child in front of them. So, like, you know, you've got the, the, him with the uh, youngest daughter to her throat. You've got her with spider to a knife. And I was like, oh, we're good. it's going to pan to Jake and he's going to put his own daughter and put a knife to her throat. And you're like, now we all got one. We've each got a I child. Got really weird Mexican stand Put the child in. <laughs> exactly. I'll cut her throat. I don't care. Exactly. And Terry's like, wait, what? Um, I don't think you're understanding the meaning. Wait, why, why would you do that? What? Exactly. Um. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, there's clearly a lot of repercussions that, that are going to happen in this climax that are going to come to a head. I just hope they come to a head in the next film and they end it in three and don't try and push it to five because five three-hour films is just preposterous. Oh, my God. Yeah, James Cameron needs to shut, like, just calm down a little bit, man. Like, I, yeah, it's crazy that this movie was three hours long and I do feel like there was stuff there was stuff that went unexplained that I have so many questions about, you know? Like, I find that very interesting. Um, but yeah, overall, genuinely a good movie. I would even go back and see it in theaters, I think. Um, just to experience the 3D aspects of it and just, just yeah, just the moments where, you know, there's there's characters standing there on the ocean. The ocean looks real. Like, I kept having to remind myself that the water was, gener- was like, computer-generated. Absolutely incredible. Um, the, uh, there are moments where characters are standing there talking to each other and the wind is lightly blowing through their hair and it looks real. And you have to remind yourself like that's computer generated. Like they animated that hair, that wind doesn't exist and it never did, you know, like that's, that's incredible. You know, that's absolutely incredible that they did that. The level of attention to detail, um, is, is incredible. Uh, cool. Well, any final thoughts on that before we let Brian back in the room? Um, no. All right. I, I think 
no. no. You think what? Say it. Finish the sentence. No, no. finish it. I'm, I'm trying to figure out if Vin Diesel's in this film. If he's in the cast list, isn't he? Yes, that's what I'm, and I was going to make a joke about how this film is so focused on family that there's no way they could have kept Vin Diesel out of it. But I can't figure out what role he played, so I'm not sure that he actually is in this film. They say he is. I've seen it. Um, but I don't think that he is. Uh, they say that he plays one of the, like, he's like a background character. Um, or something. I don't, I don't know. Despite Vin's assertions that he would be doing Avatar, he's not in the film at all. Yeah, so he's not there. He said that he was in, which is why uh, Google put him there, but uh, no one can figure out what role he played, so they're discrediting that. I don't know. That's all I got. Let's uh, let's let Brian back in the room, and let's have that It's just that Avatar 3 is near completion, and Avatar 4 is is partially shot already in this article. He, he's filming on like Lord of the Rings. He's just, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I didn't know that they were doing it that way. That, that just blew my mind. Just reading that uh, blurb in this uh, article. Um, yeah. It doesn't look like Vin Diesel is in the movie, but I wish he was. Um, so he could just be like, Jake, it's about family. Your family's your fortress or whatever. You know what I mean? Are my impressions getting better or worse? I actually can't tell. All right. Let's let Brian in. Brian. 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 Brian, you've been sitting, waiting patiently outside the room. So why don't you start us off with what's clever, what you've been watching, reading, and listening to? Yeah, I tried to jot down stuff as I watched it over the last few weeks. Obviously, I went back to work um, earlier than I was planning. So I didn't have a long list of stuff that I watched like Tyler did when he was... uh, you know, in full flow on leave. So uh, just to kind of rattle mine off and I'll give some, some general opinions. Uh, my wife and I cranked through the wheel of time uh, first season. Thought it was pretty good. Absolutely in love with uh, what's her face. Um, Rosamond Pike. Rosamond Pike. Yeah. She is just a stone cold Fox. Yeah. Um, also I'm, Fairly convinced that that show has the one of the greatest choreographed fight scenes I've ever watched in my life. Uh, and I'll say this. Most of their fight scenes are just okay at best. But there was one fight scene that I was like, did they bring in a different director for this scene? It was like it, it was like they got the director for the Achilles and, and Hector fight scene from Troy and then gave them more budget. It was insane. Like it, it just Which totally stood out from the rest about? of the movie. The the whole sh- premise of the show is around uh, this mythical character known as the dragon that is going to be reincarnated as as a, like a you know they would be about the age of a twenty something year old uh, by the time the show starts and so they start like protecting these this group of twenty year olds that they think one of them is is this mythical dragon character and you find out that the dragon. Uh, you like find you see the origin of the dragon being born, and it turns out that the dragon's mom was just an absolute badass who went while like crazy pregnant was like on the run from these soldiers, and she's like up on this snowy mountain and gets they catch up with her, and she just has the most epic 
Yeah. Fight. Has either one of you seen this scene? Yes. Yeah. I know. I know exactly what you're talking this. about. And I know that exactly scene what you're talking is about. Awesome. It's it looks awesome. Really good. Yeah. yeah. It. It was like, um, fucking hero, like the Jet Li one, where they're just doing crazy aerial acrobatics mixed yeah. with freaking Troy. I was like, it kind of stood out like like sore thumb. Like the, from the rest of the show, I was like, where the hell was that quality? in the yeah. other fight scenes it just didn't like it just felt weird to me it almost was like out of place in the show yeah i definitely don't disagree with you i remember seeing it and i rewound it even when yeah, it first i gotta go back and watch I, it I, was, I replayed it because i was like what did i just watch that was yeah, crazy fuck yeah that did not yeah. fit in with the rest of it like and now back I, to your regular scheduled programming yeah, yeah it was like it was just was a completely different level of quality compared to the rest of it which i'm not trying to shit on the show i liked it but at the same time like it was a complete like stood out like a sore thumb compared to the rest of it in terms of production quality. I just don't understand what happened there. Like it just feels so weird to me that this one scene is like completely does not line up with the rest of them. I'm not going to spend any more time on it. Go watch like that. I don't know how you'd find that scene on YouTube, but it is ridiculous. The choreography and, and just the money they put into like the budget they put into shooting that scene was just fucking awesome. Uh, uh, recommend that series. It was fun. Um, also 1899, uh, was a series on Netflix, uh, kind of a, I don't know what you describe it as like murder mystery, uh, in late, late, late 1800s, like, I don't know, like picture, like people riding on the Titanic, like that era, um, crazy mystery that has all kinds of twists and turns and mysteries. Uh, it's uh, fair warning. It's a dubbed show kind of like squid game where they're speaking in a different language and it's dubbed over in English. So, uh, well, some of it is, some of it isn't. Also, uh, the main actress is is just a clear as day love child of Nicole Kidman and and uh, what's uh, Lois Lane in the new Superman's Adams? Uh, Amy. Amy Adams. Adams and Nicole Kidman had a love child and she's the main actress. So uh, hmm. I thought it was good. I, I'd be interested to get a quick take from either of you. If, if you saw it, I think, Jeff, you tried watching it but weren't enjoying it at first, right? I didn't even finish it, man. I made it like three episodes in and was just like, I'm over it. I'm, it's not working for me. Wow. Um, and we actually already talked about it on the podcast. Jeff did also didn't like it. Yeah, my girlfriend right. and I hate watch this show. Um, <laughs> not, not, not that I like hated the show. I, did, I definitely didn't love the show. But what I hated about it was it became apparent to me what the big twist at the end of the show was going to be. I mean, there's just the show continues to get more and more insane. And it was very apparent what the twist is going to be, but it still took eight episodes to get there. Um, nine episodes. And it was like, this is a long time to wait for you to reveal the thing that you've clearly been hinting at from the beginning. Especially since it was very clear, given how these directors made their previous show, which was Dark on Netflix. I'm going to have to watch all three seasons to understand what the hell's going on anyways. So this kind of felt like a little bit of a waste of a season. Um, Interesting. Given given that I'm not going to have all of the information for another three to five years. Um, yeah. Well, hmm. well, uh, you know, just to wrap that point up, uh, you're both wrong. It's good. Uh, and, and go enjoy it, people listening. Uh, my wife and I also watched Don't Worry, Darling. I'm sure that probably got a mention on here as well. Um, we really liked it. it. I actually don't know. Oh, I uh, didn't I talk to one of you about it? No, Tyler, you, yeah, you hated it. Yeah, I, I don't know if I talked about it on the podcast, but okay. I did not. Yeah, uh, my wife like and I it. liked it a lot. Um, 
you know, I, I saw the flaws that you were picking in it. You know, I hear you like I I know I, I had some counterpoints, but overall I can get where someone else wouldn't like it. There was one giant gaping hole in this in the narrative that you pointed out that I was like, oh, yeah, I can't I can't explain that one away. Uh, Wait, which one is that? The Spoil- death, the spoilers. Death, yeah, the death of Chris Pine was just super confusing oh, when yeah. you pointed it out to me. Like his <laughs> wife just randomly kills him with no context. <laughs> she just like, oh, it's my time now, and kills him. And then there's this no, there was no lead up to that. There was no hinting that, that was going to happen. And then there was no follow through on on why it happened. So, uh, you know, just act like Chris Pine didn't die in that one. But uh, otherwise, I thought it was really good and. Uh, spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. Uh, both that one and 1899. If you like one, just watch the other because they have the same twist. So, um, anyway. Uh, and then the last thing that I've been catching up on is Cobra Kai season whatever we're in. A season one uh, revamped <laughs> because it is just rinse and repeat for the same stupid fucking story. I don't know why I'm still watching, but I just can't seem to stop putting it on. Um, I was telling Jeff in, I think, oh, well, we were playing video games yesterday that, uh, God, does it just feel like they are giving characters growth, like character growth throughout seasons. And then at the beginning of the next season, they just completely scrap all the growth they gave them and they go right back to having major character flaws. Uh, it's a total, uh, Jamie Lannister reverting back to wanting to bang his own sister type character regression. Uh, but over the course of each season, not, you know, climbing for eight seasons and then reverting back right at the end. So, uh, if you like watching the same shit over and over again, like I do, apparently, uh, go watch Cobra Kai because it is the same freaking thing over and over. Parents that can't seem to deprioritize kids, local karate for kids and their, uh, beef from when they were teenagers. So, uh, and, but generally speaking, Still kind of enjoying it. If you enjoyed season one, maybe you'll enjoy season five. But uh, definitely after a while, you start to notice the uh, the recycling of the storylines. That's Is that all of them, Brian? Uh, that's that's the major ones. Yeah, I couldn't remember what else I'd, I'd seen. But uh, if, if anything pops up that I suddenly remember watching. Oh, uh, we've been cranking through Always Sunny in Philadelphia. I, Anna's watched it all the way through. Like a couple years back, I am watching it through for the first time and uh, generally enjoying it. I thought it. you were watching this a while ago and you guys paused. Yeah, and then we took okay. a break and yeah, we kind of just bounce around. We're, we're also watching Manifest on Netflix, kind of a low budget um, mystery show that's that's uh, that we're enjoying, but um, we haven't watched it in a while. We kind of just bounce around. Cool. Jeff, what have you been watching, reading, listening to? Um. Honestly, all of my free time's gone to video games this week. I've got uh, a <clears throat> ton of hours into Midnight Suns, just hit the level cap, just unlocked Captain America. Um, I'm going to go play this after we hop off this recording. Uh, and once I beat that, I'm going to hop back on to God of War. And then uh, Final Fantasy Crisis Core just came out last week. So I've got to add that to my uh, Christmas wish list so I can play that after I beat God of War. Wow. It's a lot of games. Um, let's see. What did I watch, read, listen to? Not a lot this week, guys. So I'm just going to go ahead and forego my time because I genuinely can't think of a single thing I watched besides Avatar, The Way of Water. Um, so, yeah, that's it. So um, 
Thanks, everyone, for listening. I want to, again, repeat the message I repeated last week. We're going to be doing a rebrand, just a title change um, of the podcast in the new year. Um, So look forward to that. And, oh, Brian, you got to pick your Christmas movie for next week. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I haven't had the opportunity to do a recommendation in a long ass time uh, because um, I very gratefully got to skip out on the rest of the musicals. Yeah, you didn't have to watch and Cats. <laughs> I don't think I picked a horror movie either, did I? Yeah. I don't know what you picked, but you definitely did. You know. definitely picked uh, the movie that I asked oh, yeah. to watch. It. Uh, it. Oh, It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, so I'm going to go ahead and demonstrate how you pick a great movie uh, for your watch. We're going to hop on over to the platform HBO Max to watch the greatest Christmas comedy of all time for Christmases. Vince Vaughn, oh. <laughs> uh, Reese Witherspoon or Without a Spoon. Either way, great movie uh, that will be uh, laughs for the whole family. Um, I'm probably going to watch it tonight as soon as I... Uh, get off this recording and I'm um, looking forward to covering it next week. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, join us for a romantic comedy then uh, next week. And yeah. See you then. Thanks everyone. Thanks everybody. Bye.